welcome to episode 49 of Slaytanic Vercast. I'm Mo from France, and to my west, broadcasting live from the cockpit of the Blue Origin in the co-pilot seat, sitting next to none other than William Shatner, it's Dr. Lee Quessence. How you doing, Doc? Um, I'm thrilled and overawed. <laughs> um, You're in I the mean, presence of uh, sci-fi royalty there, sir. Yeah, uh, I mean, I I asked him for one of his kidney stones, and he scowled at me. <laughs> um, I didn't realise we were expected to pay for those. Mm, mm. Well, I think uh, Shatner's autograph at conventions goes for about two hundred dollars a pop. Um, is there a person living today um, who has done more personally to foster interest in real life space travel? Because I don't think so. Oh, I mean, that's a great question. I mean, what about... Oh, no, no, because he's dead, isn't he? I was thinking, I was thinking about Patrick... Um, what's his name? The, the guy that did the, the Sky at Night. Patrick Moore has done more than anybody in the world ever um, to further inter uh, interest in telescope astronomy. But mm -hmm. uh, I think Patrick Moore was always really quite vocally contemptuous of what he thought of as vulgar displays like rockets and... Ah, that's very interesting, yeah. But he's deceased anyway, so he doesn't fit into your criteria. Um, no, I mean, I, I just can't think. The, 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 you get the odd flash in the pan, like your Tim Peaks, for example. Um, Brian Cox, the, 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 the scientist, not the actor, I think he's quite, yep. um, quite, quite, quite an advocate. I would say those people have done more to further interest in astrophysics. Sure. Mm -hmm. Than anybody else, but mm -hmm. um, really... Um, actually inspiring imaginative young people to want to travel into space. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, have you found him as a person? He's notoriously a bit, a bit prickly. Yeah, um, it was probably a, a mistake of me to, um, to bring up Nightmare at 30,000 feet and talk about how great his acting performance was in that. You unlock this door with the key of imagination. Beyond it is another dimension. A dimension of sound. A dimension of sight. A dimension of mind. You're moving into a land of both shadow and substance, of things and ideas. You've just crossed over into the Twilight Zone. looking at could be the end of a particularly terrifying nightmare. It isn't. It's the beginning. Introducing Mr. John Valentine, air traveler. His destination, the Twilight Zone. Is that the one? Um, that, that's the episode of the Twilight Zone, isn't it? Where we, you've got the gremlin on the wing. Yes, that's right. Mm -hmm. and it, it probably, like in this particular situation, it probably wasn't the best thing for me to bring up. You're right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Correct. Um, it, it also probably wasn't completely tactful for me to keep banging on about how great his performance was in that, and <laughs> just keep saying, like, um, William, you've done at least one thing that shows what a great actor you are. Mm -hmm. Like, why did you? Why did you never do that again? <laughs> mm, mm. I, did, 
I've got a great fondness for, for Shatner. Obviously, you know, Kirk, TJ Hooker, you know, his appearance in Airplane 2, that, that Twilight Zone episode. I, I think he's got a level of self-awareness that, that you know, that, that, that I always appreciate. Um, I think I, I admire him greatly for realising that he is a competent if not great actor, and he looked into a career-defining role. And I really appreciate the fact that he's always embraced it and never turned his back on it. Mm. Um, and like pretty much throughout his whole entire life, he's um, been, um, what should we say, appreciative um, of the fact that it wasn't Shakespeare. Mm -hmm. um, it wasn't um, a Martin Scorsese film. Um, but he got a chance, um, which is more than most actors do in their whole entire careers. And I, I, I just really admire that about him. What, what do you make of these actors who kind of get all sniffy and refuse to talk about, you know, their, their, their career-defining roles? I'm thinking, um, I mean, related to our other podcast, Different Doctor, Same Old Shit, you know, you've got Christopher Eccleston, who's, very chippy whenever Doctor Who's mentioned. And of course, I, th I think the, the, the granddaddy of them all must be Harrison Ford, you know, any, any mention of Han Solo. and I can absolutely understand why a person, personally, might want... Um, I am both of these things, but I, I can absolutely understand why a person might personally want to have nothing to do with Doctor Who fans or Star Wars fans. Mm -hmm. And I can understand why they might want to cultivate an air of being stroppy and unfriendly for the benefit of those people. Yeah, yeah. I really understand it. Just as like uh, a, a repellent, effectively. Yeah. 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 Um, notoriously, of course, Tom Baker wouldn't talk about Doctor Who for years and years and years and years. Well, that's true, yeah. And, and finally, Big Finish lured him back, didn't they? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know... When, when you've done a thing for a really long time um, and it has, for better or for worse, defined you, then you might want to break from it. Yeah, of course. The, the people I found pretty intolerable um, are the people who got well-known and got famous for doing a specific thing and then turned their back on that specific thing. Okay. Um, and the, the, the example that springs to mind is Jackie Chan, mm -hmm. um, who has been whining for years about why no one will take him seriously as an actor and why people only think of him as a martial arts star. Uh, do you know why that is, Jackie? Um, it's because <laughs> you're a martial arts star and not, right. a, 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 not a great actor. You know, um, sure, typecasting exists and stereotyping exists, but there's, there's a really, really good reason why you're globally famous as a martial arts star. Mm. I, I saw an interview with uh, Sasha Gray. I think her name is. She's a she's a porn star um, of some repute. And in the nineties or, or early noughties, she you know she tried her hand at kind of serious acting. Um, okay. And but, but God bless her. In the interview, she she was totally upfront about her her past career. And, and yeah, and God, and God bless her. You know, she she was totally upfront about her previous career, um, and and fully understood, seemed to fully understand why it might be difficult for you know for people to to take her seriously. I, th I thought I thought I thought she was very bold. Yeah, I don't blame anyone for trying anything new, mm -hmm. um, but 
do you never, for instance, hear career doctors complaining about how, you know, that, that they're always thought of as, as, as this guy that does nothing but open hearts? Sure. Uh, yeah. Everyone just looks at me and thinks, uh, that's the open heart guy. And, you know, um, I, I deserve the right to branch out. I deserve the right to do some brain surgery if I want to, mm, mm. even though I have no skills or experience in this field. It's a shame to hear about Jackie Chan. I love, I love me a bit of a hardcore Jackie Chan action. I do. Um, there are, there's, there's very little more fun that you can have sober than watching Drunken Master. nothing really to report today doc you know a peek behind the curtain for the listeners we, we only recorded a, a, a podcast yesterday so nothing of great note has, has, has happened in the meantime i've you know i've taken the dog for a nice walk i've eaten a chow mein but nothing no, nothing, no, nothing podcast worthy um so what have you been listening to well that's a great question that's our, that's our kind of almost new section isn't it what have i been listening yeah. to I've been listening to Brian Ferry, Oblique Stroke, Roxy Music. Um, have you now? I have. Well, it, 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 it's a curious beast, isn't it? I, I, I find his voice quite challenging in places um, mm. because I can't help but th- I can't help but think about Vic Reeves when I hear him. And it's because Vic Reeves obviously based his kind of club singer voice on Brian Ferry. Um, but that's not Brian Ferry's fault. You know what I mean? So that I've, I've got to try and blank that from my mind. Um, in the same way, you know, in the same way as, I don't know, Smith and Jones lampooning darts, you know, affected the popularity of darts. You know, Reeves and Mortimer lampooning Roxy music shouldn't affect the, the popularity of Roxy music. Um, musically, it's very interesting. I think I, pref- I think I prefer his solo stuff. You know, I think I prefer the eighties stuff to the to you know to the seventies and early eighties Roxy music output. Um, I will beg to disagree, but then you might have expected that from me, mm. mightn't you? Of the um, this sort of small but massively popular tranche of bands, who I'm I'm going to call. Um, I'm, I'm going to refer to them as the NQP bands, the, 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 the not quite progressive bands. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically the bands um, in which I'd include like the Spiders from Mars and Queen 
and all of those bands who butted as hard up against progressive rock as seven-inch singles could ever possibly get. Yeah. Um, so rock music are my favourite out of all of that lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I really, really appreciate the fact that from the beginning, um, Brian Ferry didn't affect an American accent. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really like the fact that he didn't particularly try to disguise his... Um, I don't know what town is actually from. This will get very, very sensitive. So I'm going to say Tynan Weir-ish. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, northeast, northeast, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Because um, I always like it when people sort of keep keep their natural accents. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I really like that part. I agree with you there, Doc. And even kind of even even a band that is kind of musically kind of pretty generic, if the vocalist has their, their kind of native accent. I think it really elevates it. The, the band that really stands out in my mind in this way is um, Catatonia, the Welsh band. Yes. Mm-hmm. I, I just love her voice. The, 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 you know, the, the fact that she sounds so fucking uber Welsh, I, I absolutely love. Well, and particularly from the the midst of a musical movement where uh, everyone was mockney at the time. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was sort of def- definitely a uh, a bit of a breath of fresh air. Mm-hmm. And, uh, who, and who can forget Jimmy Nail with Crocodile Shoes? Absolutely correct. What, what about you, Doc? What have you been listening to? Um, I've been listening to, I believe, I don't even know where this band are from. Um, it was a thing I blundered across on YouTube. I don't do this. I, I don't follow YouTube recommended for you recommendations very often. But I did. It's a band called Collective, mm-hmm. ending a V and no E. And it's sort of science fiction progressive jazz mm. oh very interesting mm-hmm. yeah um it's got a great cover of like a hideous body modified nazi surgery cyborg thing on the front mm. is it, is it any standout track that i can drop in um i've had it on my portable music player today i didn't bother transcribing a track list mm-hmm. um, but i shall I shall pick out a juicy clip for you later on and pass it over to you. 
Yeah, please do. Yeah, just send me, send me the link. Uh, or I, I didn't name my Roxy Music uh, track of choice, and or Brian Ferry even, and that would be Same Old Scene. Chow time, motherfuckers. Um, only two today. We got a bit confused about the chronology and even the titles of the 80s Iron Maiden live albums last time out. Um, so here's, here's the skinny. Um, live After Death was post-Power Slave. So they released Power Slave and then a few months later they released Live After Death. Um, so that encapsulates their first five albums, basically, you know, like the, the greatest hits of their first five albums. That was released in 1985. And then Made in England was the great title, by the way, um, yes. was the post Seventh Son of a Seventh Son live release. And, they, and that one dropped the year after that album came out. So that was released in 1989. Uh, both of those are well worth, well worth a watch. They're excellent, excellent live performances. Um, so I'm pretty sure I've got this right. Mm. The, accompanying, the accompanying VHS tape that went along with Life After Death, is that the one with a giant mummified Eddie lumbering around in the background? Uh, it certainly is. It certainly is. It's, it's the power <laughs> slave. It's the power slave tour, basically. Yeah, with, with Eddie as a giant mummy, which we all love. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that was Maiden at their most, um, what can you say, their kind of most pompous and lavish in terms of their stage performances. Um, well, that's because I think they played like every live, outside the UK, I think every live show they played, they played to about four million people. And, and they, well, they probably needed a bit of a stage show. Yeah, no, you, you're quite right. And, and it, you know, I think also kind of heavily influenced by the likes of Queen and Pink Floyd at the time, who were, you know, just putting on these ridiculously extravagant shows. I think maybe Maiden felt that they needed to keep up with the Joneses. Um, second one, you couldn't remember the names of the members of Cabaret Voltaire. So here they are, Doc. Um, we've got Stephen Melinda or Malinda. I don't know how, how, where the stress goes in that in that name. Uh, responsible for vocals, bass, and keyboards. We've got Chris Watson, who was in charge of keyboards and tapes. And then I think this is the guy you were specifically talking about, which is Richard H. Kirk. Um, and that's the, that's the fellow, isn't it? And uh, a multi-talented chap by all accounts. Look at this: guitars keyboards, clarinets, saxophone, tapes, sampling, drum machines, and sequencer programming. That motherfucker could do it all. Definitely. Um, yeah. And you know what? I think probably after like the first two EPs or something, he probably did. Yeah. Unfortunately, he passed away this, just this year, Doc. How about that? Goodness gracious me. Yeah, I'm, so, I'm, sorry, to, I'm sorry to drop that bad news on you. Um, Guy Smith and Richard Kirk, I, it's been a bad year. It's been about the people said 2016 was the year of celebrity deaths, but losing Guy Smith and the guy from Cabaret Voltaire, 2021's turning into a bit of a stinker. Huh. There we go, Doc. Do you want your topic? 
I'd love my topic. Yes, please. Uh, give me a number between one and four, please. Two. Number two. Um, favorite solos from within or outside of heavy metal. You can genre is non-important. Um, my go-to. Um, right, I'm going to mention this very, very quickly. It's kind of a joke, but it's also kind of not because I don't know how the man played it. Mm -hmm. The one um, uh, is it from um, Territory by Sepultura? Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. um, the one that sounds uh, it was it was always described as like uh, um, sounding like a, um, a cassette distributed video game loading. <laughs> does i mean it, 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 you are quite right it, it, it that sounds for all the world like you know me desperately trying to get commando to load on my old amstrad cpc 464 you're quite right <laughs> <laughs> um, i've got no idea how a human being played but um, that that was that was kind of a joke i'm allowed one of those per yeah. uh, per comment section mm -hmm. um uh the one from abominations by morbid angel Yeah, and, and why do you love it so much? Um, because it goes all the way from um, like stadium rock grandstanding, <laughs> a la Van Halen, mm. um, to tremolo abuse noise. Um, it's got a proper tune. It's got a proper melody. It's got a proper rhythm. Um, it's atmospheric and morbid and spooky. Um, and um, yes, I am about to use this word in the context of Morbid Angel. It's groovy as well. Yeah, the, the, it's, it's, no, it's a great selection. It's a fantastic song, isn't it? I think Treya Zagthoff is really right on top of his game um, with that particular one. I love, I, I love the little kind of interstitial flurries that he does in that track. You know, just yeah. like two, two seconds of... Basically, basically <laughs> Very specifically, the, the bit quite close to the beginning where it goes, churning sea of absu, place of weeping death. 
Right. Dark yeah. serpent, Lord of the Morbid Priests. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think the start of that song is meant to sound like police sirens? Because that, that's what it sounds like to me. Um, the bit with the the bit with the police sirens, or that I think sounds like police sirens or like riot control sirens yeah. or something like that, um, comes right after the second solo, and it. it, it is it the bit I'm thinking of where he, he clearly pushes his tremolo bar right the way down, pulls off all of the strings, and then releases the tremolo bar very, very slowly? And it it, um, it goes along with, with 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 David's beautifully singing "Rise Up from Out of the Sea" in the name of the Absu I call, and it sort of goes. Bwah! That's not the bit I'm talking about specifically, but but of course I love that bit as well. I, I'm talking about right at the start of the track. It just goes. Yeah! Wow! It's awesome! It's absolutely yes. awesome! What a fucking, what a fucking song that is! Um, great first choice, Doc. I'm going to give you my first one, um, which is the solo from For Victory by Bolt Thrower. Unashamedly, I think they're excellent. I don't think they're the finest musicians in the world. You know, they're, they're, they're pretty much anybody can can play bolt thrower if you've been playing guitar for a year or two. Um, their solos are not complicated. They're not technical, um, but there is just something. But they're great, you know, and really in keeping with the music. There is just something about this this solo in for victory, and it's just the way it's the way that it transitions out of the solo it escalates and escalates rises in pitch and then he hits this note at the end and then the rest of the band just kind of thundering along behind it it is absolutely sublime i fucking love it is it morbid and doom filled by any chance no it's not actually it, it, no. it, it's remarkably melodic um you know just a typical chromatic solo um you know just you know playing straight kind of I'm, I'm gonna try and sound like I'm, i know what i'm talking about here but playing straight kind of pen, pentatonic scales um yeah, you know th th there's nothing really weird or abstract about it but it is just 
majestic. Um, what's your second choice, Doc? Um, the, the second solo from like two thirds of the way through The Gates of Delirium by Yes. Steve Howe from Yes is unaccountably, uh, no, he's very accountably named amongst the great guitar players in the history of rock and roll. He's unaccountably known for his solos. And I don't get this because out of all of those people, he is one of, he, he's one of those guitar players who almost never played solos. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, the reason I admire him, and I do, um, is for his deceptively simple rhythm and chords playing. Sure. Um, he... He doesn't, he doesn't do it. <laughs> so this is me daring to say this about Steve fucking Howe. He doesn't do anything that complicated or that difficult, mm. really. <laughs> yes, no, I couldn't play it never in a million years. Um, but he does, he makes very small changes to otherwise familiar chord shapes. And if, if you watch videos of him playing, he's clearly playing a pretty basic chord shape. And then he'll just like move one finger or drop his little finger into a different position sure. um, and make sounds that I've never heard anyone else make before or since. So that's the side of his playing that I actually really admire in general. Um, his, his solos go the way of progressive rock solos, i.e. they're too damn long. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, except for this one, which is really long. I mean, I think, I, I think it's a good three minutes. Wow. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, and once again, he sort of confounds expectations because it's a very, very simple melody. Um, I think you would pick it up after about four runs. I, I think you could listen to it once, um, and I think it would take you four goes to play the notes in the solo. Mm -hmm. um, and then it's his use of his effects. Um, and once again, so some, some pretty standard effects. There's lots of phasing. There's lots of flanging. Um, there's some pitch... Um, some, some like envelope shifting, possibly a wah-wah pedal or something possibly a bit more customised. Yeah. 
and it's just absolutely mesmeric. It's, it's, it's completely hypnotic all the way through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sounds absolutely great, Doc. I look forward to listening to that as, as we kind of splice this edit together. Um, yeah. my, my second one, I'm going for Queen, A Kind of Magic. Brian May's solo in that song is just so perfect. I, I love Brian May's guitar playing in general. Um, I think he does some really unusual stuff. He's got a really kind of off-kilter sense of timing. Um, you know, he'll, he'll kind of drop power chords in where you wouldn't expect them and, and just kind of play two power chords and then stop for like a bar and a half and then play another two. So it, it, he's quite oddball in the way that he plays. The, 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 the solo in, in the song of Kind of Magic is just, it, it is stadium rock perfection. Um, it, it, it lifts the whole, the whole track. It's a great song anyway. You know, um, it just lifts the whole thing, elevates it, and, and, and just takes it to, to, to this kind of, it's pure queen. It just, it, no other band could play, the, 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 you know, the, the, this kind of minute. There is no other band it could possibly be. You hear it, that is prime queen. It's brilliant, Doc. Um, is it one of those solos that actually justifies the activity of wearing leather trousers and putting your foot on the monitor whilst playing? Absolutely, it absolutely does. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, his beautiful perm has never looked more radiant than when he's playing that solo as well. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Have you got a third one for me, Doc? And then, then we'll move on. Yeah, um, Shadow Play by Joy Division. It's a very simple solo. Mm. Um, I don't think it's quite as simple in terms of picking out the notes um, as the one I just mentioned. So um, 
I believe I've just identified a Joy Division song that has a more complicated solo than a Yes song. Wow. <laughs> I'm the first person in the world ever to make that statement. I'm sure I am. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, it, it's still not difficult. I think it might take you a good half a dozen or maybe even eight runs through to pick it out. Mm. Um, and it's, it's how to restore purity and integrity to the most debased of, of, of blues cliches. Sure. They, they, um, they're, they're, not, they're, they're certainly not known for their technicality, are they, Joy Division? As brilliant as they are, you know, I'll, I'll say with the exception of um, Pete Hook, um, you know, they're, they're, they're not kind of wildly talented in, technically. Um, you know, I, I say this, a reasonable level of confidence, Doc, I can play the solo in transmission better than the guy in the band can. Um, I think that's the whole point of them. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it makes them like when when you're an aspiring guitar player or an aspiring punk rocker or whatever. Um, nothing they play is too complicated. It makes it very very approachable, and it's the kind of thing that go that that makes you think to yourself, well, with enough practice, and um, I could probably you know I, I've I've got a fighting chance of of, of doing that. Yeah, um, if your favourite band is will say yes if your favorite band is yes or queen you listen to a yes album or a queen album and you just like no yeah never gonna happen yeah i'm i'm never gonna be that good and you're probably (laughs) right but um i think the whole point of joy division is the effectiveness they're able to get out of very very scant resources Mm, mm, i mean mean, transmission the track on you know the easily my top 10 tracks of all time um you know but but I would say with the exception of the drumming pattern, which which I think is quite tricky, anybody can play it, but not everybody can write it, Doc, and that's the key, isn't it? Yeah, and it, it's um, having the correct mixed bag of bad influences as well. Um, I'm always fascinated to get to sort of know little snippets about what kind of track bands thought they were writing when they wrote a particular track. Sure. And um, that whole album, Unknown Pleasures, um, and it sounds laughable when you first hear it. And then when you know it and you listen back to it, it all makes perfect sense. That was apparently um, the earnest attempt to do a disco album. Right. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. And that beating, that, that beating transmission that I referenced, I mean, that, that makes total sense, doesn't it? Well, it's, it's the basic dimensions of what should we say funk or disco. Mm. Um, but obviously performed by the least funky people in the, 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 the least laid back, the least loose, the least funky people in the history of the world ever. Mm, mm. Yeah. They're very um, interesting. Though. My last one. Um, 
I'm going for, I'm, I'm cheating a bit because I'm going for a section, a solo section in a track rather than one individual solo. It's that trade-off solo section in Live Undead um, off, the, off, off the very album that, we, you, you know, that, we, that, that we've been covering over the last few weeks. That end section, when the track blasts off and they're trading solos and it's being in, kind of interwoven around Tom's vocals, it is so fucking good. It's potent. It's f so full of energy, so full of life. I've never heard anything like it before or since. I think it's brilliant.
I agree with you. Winding up this comment section here, um, <laughs> I think it's really interesting that considering that we're doing a project that's all about Slayer, we talk about Slayer solos in every single episode. <laughs> we also bang on about Iron Maiden all the time. <laughs> um, and up until your last, so the, the, the last out of six comments in this whole section, no one mentioned the Slayer solo. Mm, mm, that's right. It, it, it's very interesting. Well, you know, when I think about Slayer, I think it's, the solos are, are, are quite low down on my list of priorities, to be honest. You know, it, 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 it's, it's Dave, it's Jeff, it's Tom's vocals, it's the killer riffs, it's the morbidity, um, the, the, the frenetic nature of the music. And, 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 and then we kind of get to the solos, I think. Well, obviously, a really big, because you've known me for that long and you remember me back in the days, a big part of me getting into Slayer is pretty much my first full-on metal band, is that they didn't have many, or that they, they didn't go overboard with the solos. Sure. Mm -hmm. um, it's the solos and all that stuff that made me think of pompous, self-regarding, overblown stadium rock yeah. that actually kept me up. It, I, I, I may as well admit it, it, it didn't do me any favours because it kept me away from stuff like Maiden for years and years and years. Mm, mm. Um, and, you know, I, I just literally, like, there are too many solos, fuck off. Yes, but, you know, we all grow, don't we? And now you have a great appreciation of Dave, the Lips Murray, when he, you know, when, when, he's, when he's shredding... I've seen you smiling, Doc. I've seen you smiling. Yeah. Um, so I, I think a few honourable mentions um, are due here. Um, does It's not part of the song, it's the introduction, but does the very beginning of The Phantom of the Opera count as a solo? I would say so. Yes, there's, the, there's enough technique going on there, and it, and it is like clearly the lead line. Yes, I'd, I'd accept it. Um, so, any other honourable men? Um, uh, how can we ignore the solo in Angel of Death? <laughs>
brilliant. Absolutely. And, uh, and again, that's you say solo, but I think we're talking about six separate solos there, Doc. I think mm. it transitions like three times between Jeff and Kerry. And then and then it and then it hits um Dave's drum solo. Man, it's audacious. Mm. Yeah, yeah. That's a that, that, that's a great one. Uh, don't forget, guys, uh, you can contact us on Twitter at Vercast or on email at slitanicvercast at gmail.com. Let's move on. Welcome to part two of the show. Um, a bit different this week guys of course because we're not listening to a song instead this is the cover special so what we're going to do is we're going to play a bunch of uh, cover versions of the tracks that we've been analyzing over the past 10 weeks or so unfortunately i could not find all of the tracks um so i think in total we've got Eight out of the ten. Now, one of them I dismissed anyway, Doc. I couldn't see the point in finding a like a cover of the cover. That didn't seem to make any sense to me. Um, and the other one that I can't find, I, I just could not find anything which was cleanse the soul. Uh, not a big surprise because it, it, it ain't the greatest of tracks. So maybe that's why nobody's bothered to cover it. Um, so let's kick it off. Um, so the first thing we're going to be listening to is obviously track one, which is South of Heaven. Now, this one's a bit different. Normally, our rule is that we only select kind of, in quotes, proper bands. And we select the, the, the top rated band on YouTube when you type in the name of the track and then cover version. We're not interested in like, guys in their bedroom playing the, playing the cover version, basically. Um, but this one's a bit different. What I found is... A cover version of South of Heaven played by two young women called Elena and Mel. Elena is Russian. Mel is an Indonesian Muslim girl. It's the it's just the most magnificent thing that I've seen in, in a long time. It it, it it warmed my heart so much. It I welled up doc when I was watching it. It it just cheered Aww. me so much to see these two young women um and, and particularly you know like the indonesian muslim lass with a like the full head scarf on just shredding the fuck out of this song i absolutely <laughs> loved it here we go <laughs> to know doc where on earth did they get hold of this like instrumental version i, 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 I don't know where it comes from 
instrumental version of like the drum track for what of this track because it sounds to me I, did, I mean, maybe, maybe it's something like the Guitar Hero version or something like that. Because Tom's vocals oh. should have kicked in by name, but they have not. So what version of the track is this? Obviously, um, they're playing to a backing track. Yeah. Where's it come from? Um, here are some things that I know that exist in the world. Our drummer. Mm. Uh, now, the... These things were only available if you like actually paid to go to the guy's like drumming clinic. Um, Mark Portnoy from Dream Theatre. Uh -huh. um, if you paid the modest amount of money to go along to one of his live demonstrations, um, you could get a CD of him um, doing nothing but playing his drum parts. Ah, okay, yeah. Uh, so th those those kind of things are definitely a thing. So the, mm. the, it might be like a Dave Lombardo masterclass. Mm. Mm. Yeah, they did really, really good point. I was wondering if if, if there was some like software that kind of allowed you to play the track and then strip the vocals out somehow, so you're just left with the instrumentation. I bet you that exists as well. Yeah, I'm sure it does. I'm going to skip forward a little bit because I I really want uh, to hear this young lady playing the solos. Let, let's see if I can find it. <laughs> Or well, then again, we could just listen listen to this fucking killer riff, couldn't we, instead? Yeah. Honestly, guys, do yourselves a favour. Just go onto YouTube and type in um, Elena and Mel cover South of Heaven. Um, what do you make of that, Doc? I absolutely love it. Yeah. Um, whenever you bring these things up occasionally, I can never believe how good bedroom demos sound nowadays. Oh, yes. Sure. Yeah. When we were doing it, kind of 20, 20, 25 years ago, for Christ's sake. It, it, it was a very different world, wasn't it? Um, it was. And I mean, it, sort of, it, it was a challenge to record anything that sounded like an electric guitar. <laughs> um, That's true. But, but there's, there's a very good, looking back on it, there's a very good reason why um, synth pop bands exist, which is because if you're trying to make bedroom demos, everything ends up sounding like a cheap synthesizer anyway. Yeah, no, you're quite right. Is, is that enough of that, Doc? Do you want a bit more, or should we move on to track two? You're, you're cool, sir. Um, I could listen to a bit more. Let's do Here that. We go. I'll skip forward a little bit. Let, let, let's have the last... Um, let's have the last 30 seconds or so. Here we go. Hold on. <laughs>
it's just great, isn't it? I, I could listen wow. to that all night long. I love them. I might just. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. That, that's your Thursday evening ruined. Here we go. Um, next up, then. Here we go. Track two. Your favourite, Doc, of Silent Scream. Um, <laughs> this time performed by none other than the mighty Children of Bodom. Here we go. Bottomizing the shit out of that track, aren't they? Um, I like it better than the original. There we go. Good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the extreme roughness and harshness of the production is that suits it much better. Mm-hmm. I think the vocals suit it better. Mm-hmm. My word. Um, yeah, I just like it better. In general, are you a, a, a Children of Bottom fan, Doc, or, or not? I'm not? I'm not really sure of your position on, on these guys. Um, I would have said no, I'm not a fan. I mean, mm. there are... I don't know why. I feel as though they've got past me a lot. If The harder I think about, like, what other tracks I know and love by Children of Bottom, and I'm really struggling. They, there's a very good chance, you know, that, that they're one of these bands that have pretty much got gone... Um, not, not blindsidedly, but they've, they've just out, like somehow escaped my full attention ever. Sure, I mean for me, the, the, their first three albums are excellent. I think it's something wild. <laughs> Hate breeder. 
and follow the reaper. Death be not proud, though some have called thee mighty and dreadful. Thou art not so. Something wild, you know, when that was released, I mean, just nothing sounded like it. It was a, a real breath of fresh air. Um, you had the speed on the guitar, um, his abrasive vocals, but just the the abundance of keyboards and, and those kind of big, massive keyboard stabs. Um, yeah. no, nothing really sounded like it. So, so, you know, they were really, really innovative. And I, I think they maintained the quality for the first three albums. Since then, unfortunately, I, I, I think they have kind of, uh, you know, their, their quality control has gone down significantly. I saw them live. They were atrocious, by the way. Really? Yeah. Oh, God. I, I, I think I saw them in Derby at the at Bloodstock one of the years. Um, just shocking, but uh, just but not helped by just a, a, a terrible sound mix, unfortunately. Um, well, that helps, does it? Well, you know, when you're playing that style of music, <clears throat> the, the, the sound really, really needs to be good. Um, the kind of later offerings just became very generic. And they, I don't know, just all that kind of, it's very trebly and it became so almost abrasive to listen to and uncomfortable. You might love it, Doc, because you, you, you like that kind of shit from time to time, don't you? I do, but not necessarily in metal or mm. not, not necessarily unless it's primitive black metal. Um, and even then, um, I'm, 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 I'm very selective. I mean, um, not everyone who knocks off Dark Throne immediately gets my seal of approval. It has to be something really outstanding like Necrogoat. Sure, of course. Of course, anything that refers to a goat, you're, you're going to go for, aren't you? Let's be honest. Um, um, I, I love that Necro Goat album. Yeah, yeah. Um, you, you, you say you prefer this to, to the original version. It, it, any, any instinct as to why, Doc? Just because it's rougher. Mm. Um, just because it's, it's more scuffed up. It's Yeah, that's all. Nothing that's more to say enough. than that. That's fair enough. Yeah, I, I, I like the original version. I like this. I, I like this plenty too. I, th I think it's a really, really effective cover version by, you know, a very, very good band. Um, have you heard enough, or do you want a bit more? No, that'll do me for now. That's not do. Yeah. All right then. Um, so track three is um, "Live and Dead." Of course, this is by a band called Diseased. Now. They seem to be like a proper band in terms of the production of the video that I was watching and the, like, the, the little write-up on the YouTube video. But I, can't, I couldn't find anything about them anywhere, really. So that, that, that they're, they're a bit of a mystery. It's drummer-focused, the video. You know, the camera's on the drummer. Um, but I think the rest of the band are playing in the same room. That's the impression I got. Um, the drummer's sporting a, a rather fine bolt thrower T-shirt, by the way, which oh. always gets my seal of approval. Um, let's have a listen to this. Here we go. <laughs> Thank you. 
really good, isn't it, Doc? Yes, it is. Um, it's very, very good, in fact. Mm -hmm. Do we assume that they're uh, a, a kind of a side project of a famous drummer? I, I just don't know. I, 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 I tried to find some information, and I, I, I was blocked at every turn. I, I have no information about them. My first suspicion is that there must be at least 120 bands called Disease or Diseased. There were two, which is very oh. surprising. Isn't that surprising? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Had the I had the same thought. As I was typing into Encyclopedia Metallum, I thought, oh, God, this is going to be a real ball ache because there's going to be like 25 of them. Um, <laughs> but there were only two, and, and it was neither of those bands. Yeah. Side question, um, since you're always bringing the questions on me, what's your favourite band name? Uh, like for a band named after a disease. Oh, oh, oh that, 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 that. I mean, cancer's great, isn't he? Just calling himself <laughs> yes. cancer. He's, I mean, so audacious. Um, I would, I know it's strictly not a disease, but anthrax is a great name. Um, yes. I mean, after that, I, I can't really think of any that are specifically named after, you know, real diseases. Um, have, have you got any in your head, Doc? Um, I believe there was at least one band called Leprosy. Oh, Leprosy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and um, even though I, I, I get the impression they're a spectacularly dodgy skinhead band, um, I think Tollwood is a great name. Say, say the word again. Tollwood. It's German Tollwood. for rabies. Oh, rabies. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but no, other, other than the, 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 the two that I've mentioned, I, I can't really think of any others. Um, but I mean, diseased, it's a great name and it is a, it, it is a surprise that there aren't more, more, more bands out there called that. Let's have a bit more of a listen. Here we go. <laughs> The music is like a real authentic uh, reproduction, but I do like the vocal style styling here, where you've got the you've got the you've clearly got two vocals going on there. Mm. You know, the, the the one that's a bit more kind of clear. Not, I wouldn't say clean because it's still very gruff, but you can hear what he's saying. And, and then you've got kind of the Cookie Monster guy in the background. <laughs> this is almost certainly a thing, and you're probably going to scoff at me now. Have there been any bands who have done like simultaneously two part vocals like that with primitive black metal vocals and Cookie Monster vocals? <laughs> oh, it's a great question. Um, you, you, I mean, you would think so, wouldn't you? I'm, I'm thinking of like Cookie Cookie Monster vocal bands. Like Avulst would be one. Um, a I was just thinking time to time. Is, is, is there a band that sounds like it's got um, Euronymous and Chris Barnes? Yeah, on, no, I, 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 I know vocals. what you mean. I, I can't think. I, I can't think of one off the top of my head, but it must exist, surely. Yeah, and it, it's. It, I sort of expected you to scoff and go, um, "Yeah, uh, between 
um, 15 and 10 years ago, there were about 40 billion pounds yeah, like yeah. that. I'm sure, it's, I, I'm sure you're right. I'm sure it's a thing. But no, I, I, can't, put, I can't put my finger on any, on any particular names. Um, how do you feel about this, you know, reproducing the, mu the, the music so authentically and then changing the vocal style, Doc? Does that work for you? Because it works for me. I'm completely cool with it. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I really, really don't think there are any hard and fast rules um, on covers. Before we started this project, I had a slight downer on covers that were too authentic. Yeah. Um, I didn't really see the point. Mm. Um, and it just always made me think of those, like, appalling bar bands um, who, like, had to make a living and they would always come out with lame excuses like, you know, um, oh, uh, the customers don't want to hear original material. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I always had a slight downer on, on, on covers that were too authentic um, or that tried to ape the source material too much. Um, since we've been doing this project, I've come to enjoy them quite a bit because the drop-dead straight ones, sometimes it's just fascinating and charming for me to listen to people who've back-engineered something so exquisitely. Yeah, it's interesting what you say there about the, like, the bar bands, kind of almost like making making an excuse. One of my housemates, you know, for for, for three or four years, she made she made a living um, from like, singing in bars, basically, and just singing cover versions. And it, and and it is a, a source of great uh, frustration to her that whenever she tried to do something that was a bit kind of out there, a bit different. It would just get no response at all. But you know, mm -hmm. when she was singing like "Come on, Eileen" or some shit like that, then the place would, would go fucking wild. You know, there, there's the inescapable fact that when people are paying you money to do a certain thing, you should probably do that thing. Sad but true, as Metallica would say. Absolutely correct. Any more doc, or is that enough of? Um... That's 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 enough for me at the moment. We've, we've still got one. quite a few tracks to get through, haven't we? We have. So here we go. Here's track four, which is. Um, behind the Crooked Cross, and this is by your favourite, uh, my favourite one, uh, and, and this is by an Australian band called Psychroptic. Hang on, let me. Yeah, Psychroptic. Here we go. What a great name! Great name. <laughs> I'm pretty furious about something, Doc. They're, they're not happy. Yeah, they're not happy. Um, 
Cycroptic, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the Encyclopedia Metallum page here. Australian uh, from West Hobart, apparently in Tasmania. Um, still active. Uh, they're formed in 1999. They've got, let's have a look. One, two, ooh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven albums under their belt already. Um, so they're cranking them out. Their, their genre, which, which is surprising given what we've just heard, but it is a cover version, so of course, you know, they're you know, inevitably that means that, that they may be stepping out of their, their genre of choice. Uh, normally, they play technical death metal. Um, you wouldn't guess that, would you, from, from what we've just no. heard? Our favorite part of Encyclopedia Metallum is, of course, lyrical themes. <laughs> <I think. laughs> um, there's four listed here, three of them I think you've got a shot at. If you get the fourth one, I'll be fucking astounded. Um, Come on, I'm going to give you five guesses. See how many you can get. Uh, do uh, I mean is is darkness and evil? Are they, are they both a gimme? Well, no, we'll get rid of them. No, they're not there, and that doesn't. I won't count that as a guess. What should we say? Like blasphemy or anti-religion or something like that. So th that's one guess. No, neither neither of those. Oh blimey! Um, you've um, you've overestimated you've overestimated me though. You've, you, um because I'm I'm thrashing a bit now. Mm. Um, insanity, it's it's not there. Blimey! Um, <laughs> and these people call and these people call themselves a metal band. <laughs> technical um, death metal, though. Remember, technical death metal. Um, okay, philosophy. Oh, you, you you're getting warmer. It's not there. Oh, fuck. Um, if if this was only connect, I, I've I've like blown my um. Three, <laughs> Uh, three of my chances now. What a great reference, Doc. Only connect. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> the, the marvelous Victoria Corrin Mitchell. Mitchell. What a, what a, what a wonderful lady. Welcome to Only Connect. I adore Victoria yeah. Corrin. I, yeah. I, I absolutely adore Victoria Corrin. Yeah. Uh, 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 literature. Um, literature? No, it's not there. One more. One more guess. Um, all right. Just based on the subject matter of the song, extreme right-wing politics. Politics is there. So you got one. You got one of the politics. Oh, so we've got um, fantasy, politics, uh -huh. death, and the impossible one, metaphysical anomalies. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> um, I assume that means ghosts and UFOs. <laughs> you'd, you'd assume so, wouldn't you? Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think if they played any genre other than technical death metal, they'd have been very happy to say ghosts and UFOs. That's it. You're right. Yeah. Um, yeah, and cryptozoology, all of that kind of stuff. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Next track, of course, is Mandatory Suicide. This is by the absolutely extraordinary Decapitated. Here we go. <laughs> Thank you. 
There's the Cookie Monster duck. There he is. <laughs> <laughs> what a thing of beauty that track is. I absolutely love Decapitated. Um, how familiar are you with them, Doc? <laughs> not at all. Ah. I'm not even convinced I'd heard of them until tonight. Uh, yeah, they're, they're a Polish band um, with quite a storied career, actually. Um, I think their first release was... Their first release was, was an album called Winds of Creation. sure that at least one of the members was only 17 at the time um and the other guys were like 18 or 9 and, and 90 it's a very very young the the the, the musicianship is extraordinary uh, you know when they're when they're playing their own stuff um it is full-on technical death metal but played with such bravado and, 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 and such such character, it's absolutely wonderful. But I mentioned the fact that they're storied. And, and the reason I say that is because there have been two major incidents in their career. Um, one of them, I think, was in 2007 or 2008. And they were involved in a, in a, in a, in a really, really serious road traffic accident when they were on tour, um, which seriously injured three of them. And ultimately, one of them passed away, unfortunately, um, as a result of it. Um, and but but you, know, but, you know they they, they continued. They had a bit of a hiatus, and they and they continued regardless. And then I think it was in 2016 or 2017, they arrived in America, and were promptly arrested. Um, and the reason they were arrested was because the last time they toured America, um, somebody who'd been on the stage, um, look, look, a member of the public who got on the stage, the lead singer apparently pushed him off the stage, um, you know, kind of to assist him in his stage diving, basically. But this poor fellow landed on, on, on the ground in a most unfortunate way, kind of cracked his skull open and eventually died. Um, oh. So... You know, so, so so the lead singer was. I think I think initially the whole band was arrested, but then ultimately the the, the lead singer was the one that was was held um, for manslaughter. Um, and eventually, it was all resolved. But yeah, you know, quite 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 the quite the story. You know, for 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 this pretty reasonably obscure band, I suppose. Yeah, um, I know you're not a superstitious man, and neither neither am I, but. There are certain bands, aren't there, who just seem to be cursed or blighted with really, really bad luck. Mm -hmm. it, it, other bands, Doc? What are you um, thinking of? Well, um, the famous one, obviously, is Bethlehem. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and they... Um, I think, if I remember correctly, that uh, the, the, the three members actually came together, possibly through like some sort of counselling or something, because... That they're just these these three people who just constantly have people die around them all the right. time, mm -hmm. um, and they came to the conclusion that they they were actually cursed individuals, and 
they could do the least harm to the rest of the world if they just kept each other's company and nobody else's. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's really interesting. So they felt that they were like Jonas or Jinxes or something like that. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I mean, the um, the bass player and vocalist, who I believe is named Barch, mm. um, in one interview I read, and he's just going into this enormous litany of like, and he's just saying stuff like, uh, well, I was in a pub one night um, and um, one guy had evidently had some bad smack and just started puking and white foam came out of his oh, mouth and he, uh, uh, and, um, and he died across the table in front of me. Um, and then a bit later on, I saw someone die from acid. And then a bit later on, like something, he's, he's saying something like, um, I was sat at a bus stop and the old guy sat next to me, had a heart attack. And oh, Christ. <laughs> just stay at home, mate. Stay at home, for Christ's sake. Um, yeah. And uh, uh, the guitar player, who uh, I, I believe is a chap named Maton, um, I, I think something like it, it, almost all of his extended family had died in traumatic circumstances. And I, yeah. I, I, I really get the impression this is sort of... Um, how they met each other and, and sort of what what kept them together. <laughs> I, I tell you what, when, if you, if you ever see somebody like legitimately foaming at the mouth, it really is a scary. It's happened to me once. Um, I walked into a shop in Wolverhampton, just like the corner shop near my house, and the and and and, and the guy. Um, the shopkeeper, who I knew, you know, well enough to, to, to have a, a chat with from time to time, was on on his back in the aisle, convulsing and foaming at the mouth. It was absolutely, it was you know, traumatic for, for all involved. I would say, yeah, um, yeah. Never seen anyone foaming at the mouth. Mm. Um, on the subject of, of, of morbidity, um, I made a slightly disturbing discovery. Um, that while I was waiting, waiting for a railway train, um, probably in the month of August, um, I probably stood almost next to a deceased person. Oh, go on. Tell the tale. Oh, um, it was just a, a, a reference in the local newspaper. And um, I suppose it was a bit of, a, a, a bit of an op-ed about um, how callous and thoughtless society is. And it talked about... Um, someone who died, I suspect, from a heroin overdose mm -hmm. um, on the bench at this railway station, um, which will remain nameless. Um, and no one noticed he was dead. I think the time of death was probably placed at 11 in the morning and he was only discovered when the staff came to check everyone out last thing at night. Sure, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and that's the railway station I use every day. And in theory, there's, there aren't very many benches. There's only three benches all next to each other. Mm. And um, in theory, I must have spent 10 or 15 minutes sat next to A dead this guy. dead guy. Bloody yeah. hell, mate. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> wow. There we go. Um, and any more doc or is that enough from decapitated? Um, well, for now, yes. Uh, decapitated are now like going on my list of bands. I need to go away and look up. Yes, and you really, really must. They are they are quite quite excellent. All right. So next up, we've got uh, Ghosts of War, of course, and this is by a metalcore band called Hate Breed. Um, they're not on Encyclopedia Metallum. Doc. We've talked about this before. Have a listen to this, and you t you explain to me why these guys are not on Encyclopedia Metallum. If you can, here we go. <coughs> Thank you. 
there we go, Doc. <laughs> Any thoughts? Um, to be on Encyclopedia Metallum, um, do you not have to self-identify as metal? Um, I'm not sure about that. I, no, in fact, I think it's the opposite. I think they have to declare you to be metal enough. Right. Um, I have a suspicion. This is sort of... Uh, and I'm pretty confident in saying this. Um, Hate Breed are one of those metallic hardcore bands from the mid, and they were about in the mid 90s, um, yeah. who would spend a substantial portion of every interview going, We're not metal, we're not metal, we're not metal, ah. we're not. Okay, so so you think maybe like, like the moderators at Encyclopedia Metallum took a them for that reason? Um, or maybe just respected their wishes. Mm -hmm. mm. You don't want mm -hmm. to be called metal, we won't call you metal then. Fair sure. enough. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That, that, good point, Doc. Yeah, yeah. Good, good point. Well made. Um, what do we think of the of, of their version here? The Ghosts of War. Um, it's it's not an improvement on the original. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's another one of those things that's clearly an exercise in admiration or or, or, or tribute, isn't it? Or yeah. just because it's a track they really enjoy. It doesn't do anything new or interesting. Um, for a band who I like to think consider themselves to be doing something new with aggressive music or extreme music at that time, it doesn't do anything particularly new or particularly interesting. Sure, and I, I, I just chalk it up as we we come across at least a couple of these every time we do one of these episodes. It's clearly recording that was made because the band loves Slayer and the band loves the song um, and they play it a lot in practice or they play it a lot as their um, they play it a lot at, I, I suspect as their sound check warm up mm -hmm. um, I think you're right yeah, exactly and, and just to warm up in the in the rehearsal room basically you know just just to get into the flow um, I'm not a big I am not a big fan of the of, of the general metal core vocal style that kind of that, that, you know, that kind of monotone. It's aggressive, sure, but there's no kind of fluctuation in pitch. And, and I generally don't like that. I'm, I'm thinking of um, like the, other bands that, 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 that do a similar thing, Black Dahlia Murder. Um, well, there's, a really big one, there's a really big one that I can't... Say it again, Doc. It all starts with Pantera, doesn't it? I, well, I think Pantera... Um, were probably the origin point, yeah. But you know, as, as despicable a human being as Phil Anselmo seems to be, um, he does have variety in his vocal delivery. You know, there is there is pitch shifting, you know, and, and, and change of of key and note in his yeah, voice. I mean, um, Phil Phil can hold a tune, um, yeah. There's something that's just intrinsically melodic about the Texas accent. Mm -hmm. um, mm. I don't think it's for no good reason that Texas is one of those places in the world that's considered to produce great singers. Sure. Okay. That's very, very interesting point. Yeah. And, and so even when you add the gruffness, that, that kind of melodious quality still kind of shines through. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's a good point. I... I think that vocal style is the product of a problem that might be impossible to solve. And it's how do you make a new style of metal vocals, which, because 
this stuff came out at the point of a period in history where death metal was borderline self-parodic. Mm-hmm. The post-hardcore style, um, so the the melodic but shouty post-hardcore style um, had been mainstreamed by Nirvana and their pathetic copyists. Mm-hmm. So you couldn't do that anymore. And I think, for want of a great innovation, the, the straight ahead, the, the, the straight ahead shouting was, was was all that people were were left with. Yeah. Um, and if indeed that problem ever was solved, um, I think it would take a, a good long while for it to be solved. And it, I, I think what solved it in the end was, hey, let's just try straight ahead singing. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, and there are plenty of bands, you know, over the last 10 or 15, maybe even 20 years that, 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 that do exactly that, you know, where you'll, you'll have one of one of the members will have the metalcore voice and the other one will be the clean singer. Or, or sometimes it's the same, you know, the same person. Yeah, and I mean, the, the truly radical innovation um, was uh, eventually, hey, why don't we get a bird to do it? Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and of course, we can't forget Fear Factory in all of this. I, I think they were um, instrumental in, in, in kind of in pioneering this style as well. And didn't even uh, didn't even Napalm Death sound like that at this point? Are you, yeah, well, well, I mean, if we talk about Napalm Death, then, yes, yeah, certainly, you know, you've got like, is it called, is it Greed Killing, I think? I'm glad you said that. I was massively uncertain about whether Greed Killing was Fear Factory or, 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 or Napalm Death. Yeah, no, I'm, no, I'm sure, I'm, I'm sure that's that, that's Napalm Death, and yet, and yeah, you know, that, that is considered to be their kind of commercial album, basically. Yeah. I think pure, purest Napalm Death fans really, really don't like that album. I think it's fucking awesome, but you know, um, um, would let's say. Um, What's the what's the carcass album with Generation Hexed on it? Oh, that's uh, Swan Song, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You're right. Um, yeah, that that'd be count? another influence. Yeah, you're quite right. on to the next track sure so we've got track seven now which is read between the lies and this is by the inimitable anathema here we go Thank you. 
absolutely great doc I, I think it's so much better than the original version yeah and um i've got to make the same comment that i made earlier i like it better because of the quote-unquote worse production and the quote-unquote worse vocal um the vocals are in a good way really quite amateurish on this aren't they mm-hmm. i mean it's interesting this because the, 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 you talk about like the, you know, potentially poor production or lower quality production, and that has to have been a deliberate choice because this was take that uh, this track is taken from um, a, a, a compilation called um, where is it? I've got it written somewhere. Um, hang on, let me find it. Uh, it's called well, Slate. Mean- it's called Slatanic Slaughter Volume Two. Um, which is like a you know like a, a tribute to, to Slayer, and it was released in 2016. Now Anathema, you know, in 2016, you know, there is no way they would deliberately. No, no, sorry, there is no way they would inadvertently have that production standard. That was a clear I mean, choice. Uh, aren't Anathema practically synonymous with studio perfectionism? Exactly. That's my point. That's my point. Yeah, so so um, this is a, this is a, this is a deliberate choice. Yeah, um, they and it, it kind of it kind of is studio perfectionism in it. So um, I absolutely agree with you. And they made the decision that they were going to make a version of this that sounds so filthy and lo-fi. Mm. And, and um, what's really interesting is you know after, after Anathema, when did they when did they really? burst onto the scene like 91 92 something like that and you know that they, they were that they, they were part of the peaceville three i think with you had anathema oh. paradise lost and my dying bride um and their first three albums are you know you know the, the pioneering doom death albums but mm. after that point they kind of stepped away from that genre and you know the, 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 they've always been musically very interesting, um, but not really metal anymore. So it's very interesting to hear them in 2016, kind of stepping back into the metal genre full on, and producing something this kind of lo-fi. I think it's fascinating. It's fascinating to me too. Um, I've never made any secret of the fact that I, I'm short on patience for Death Doom. Yeah, um, it's. Yeah, I I don't dislike it in the way that I dislike new metal, mm-hmm. um, but it's one of those genres of metal that, that tries my patience a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to be, 
I'm not even going to say I have to be in the mood for it because I'd, I'd never actually be in the mood. For it. I have to be in a spectacularly forgiving mood before I'll. I'll I think to myself, I know. Um, I'll, I'll I'll listen to "Let Loose the Killer Swans" by My Dying Bride. Oh yeah. Confess to a lot of ignorance around any band in that genre. Um, I did know that Anathema are legendary for their studio perfectionism and for mm-hmm. demanding dozens and dozens of takes and really, really trying the patience of engineers. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm with you, really, on the genre. You know, you know, there are a few exceptions. You know, I mean, I think I think Paradise Lost. I really like Draconian Times. Even that is when they kind of veer away from full-on death doom and, and start to get a bit more rocky. Bef- you know, prior to that, you've got the Shades well, of God album, and on yeah, that you've got a couple of real standout tracks, like When Mortals Watch the Day. the sadness album the track gothic is awesome
most of the rest of the album, for me, is barely listenable. Anathema themselves, it's only really son the Sonnet Enigma album that I like. And, he and even there, you've only got like, re really two standout tracks to me, which is Restless Oblivion. What's the other one, Doc? Um, a Dying Wish. And Sonnet Enigma, the, 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 the track itself. 
Let Loose the Swans is, is fabulous, but I don't want to listen to the whole fucking album ever in my life. Um, it's, a, it's a funny old genre, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it, uh, um, it always surprises me, like, the, the breadth and depth of it as a genre, like how many bands there are who self-professedly play Death Doom. Um, <laughs> I know for a fact that I've listened to um, uh, Silent, uh, um, is it Silent Whisperings by, no, it's, oh God, <laughs> all of these band names sound the same in all of their albums. Um, there's one called Sad, Sad Whisperings and there's another one called Babylon Sad. Um, and I've, I've listened to an album each by the, but sensitive to autumn. That's it. Mm. Um, sad whispering, sensitive to Enlighten me. Uh, well, it sounds like exactly exactly like what you imagine it to sound yeah, like. Yeah, it's got lots of bits that go jin 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 jin. <laughs> oh, the suffering. Yeah. Oh, life is terrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for three hours. My yeah yeah, my general problem with the genre is is just that lack of humour. Basically, you know, I, I love <laughs> I love metal, and part of the reason I love metal is because it's really fucking silly, isn't it? You know, um, and these guys just strip all of the fun out of it, don't they? We've discussed this a lot in the context of films that we like and television programs that we that, that we like, and it's hard to explain. In terms of films, it's got nothing to do with so bad it's good. It's got nothing to do with being ironic. It's got nothing to do with being postmodern. It's certainly got nothing to do with um, only watch it to laugh at it or only listen to it to laugh at it. I don't even think there's an expression in English. I bet you there's one in French. For something that sits on that precise razor's edge, and it, maintaining the absolutely perfect balance of taking itself seriously whilst being fully conscious of how silly it is, mm -hmm. um, but never never considering to to mock itself or mock its audience sure. um, or wink at the camera. Mm -hmm. or And almost all of the stuff I like best in the world is like that. Yeah, I don't know of an expression in French for that, but, you know, equilibre parfait, something like, like a perfect balance, something like that. I'm convinced there must be an expression for it in, in, um, in French critical theory. Yeah, yeah, you're probably right. Yes, yes. I'm, I'm, I'm sure that, um, you know, some, some French philosopher sucking on a galois came, I mean, came, up with a, came up with a nice expression at some point. I'm not convinced that it's like 
one of these meanings that is obviously no longer used. I'm, I'm not convinced that it's not one of the original definitions of camp. Obviously, by no means it's, it's, it's modern or currently accepted definition. This sort of liminal zone between not self-parody, not comedy, definitely none of those things. But I, I guess you have to be an initiate. Um, you have to have gone through the initiation ritual. You have to be a cult member. I guess in, in movie terms, something like Barbarella or Flash Gordon would fall into that category, wouldn't it? Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. The, the, that's what we're talking about, isn't it? That could, the, the, you know, because both of those are like high camp. They're not taking themselves seriously, but they're also not like taking the piss out of people. Um, and, you can, and you can watch them as straight films if you choose to. But, you know, r- roll yourself a fat one and, and, and watch them in the, in the right frame of mind. And, 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 and you know, you'll... You, You'll, you'll have yourself a good old time. Yeah, um, I think what it comes down to is, and Barbarella and particularly Flash Gordon are really good examples. The production values are too high, and yeah. there's too much there's, there's, there's too much effort yeah. involved for them to be mocking or taking the piss or look how stupid this is. Because clearly, all the people involved took it very, very seriously. Um, you look at the Flash Gordon and the set design is some of the most beautiful set design in the history of cinema. It looks sure. gorgeous. And the, and, the, and the costumes, etc. Yeah. Um, and there's, there's far too much effort, there's far too much commitment on the part of everyone involved for it to be a parody or for it to be taking the piss. Sure, yeah. But it's, it understands itself well enough to be able to go... But like, don't take this too seriously, and for God's sake, for God's sake, don't take yourself too seriously. That's right. Yeah, that's right, Doc. Yeah, yeah. Go, go on into some Hammerfall for Christ's sake, and cheer up, you miserable bastard. Precisely. Yeah, that's right, Doc. Shall we get onto the last track? And this, this is a very, very interesting entry we've got here. We we, we haven't managed to find a, 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 a cover version of Cleanse the Soul, and we didn't think it was appropriate to um, to do Dissonant Aggressor other than maybe listening to the, to the Priest original. Um, so this is Spill the Blood, and this is by a gentleman called Rob Scallion doing a multi-tracked cello-only cover. Here we go. Oh. <laughs> Thank you. 
weird, Doc. Isn't it weird and creepy and spooky as all shit? Um, yeah. In our other um, project, um, we were talking about incidental music television programs mm. a little while ago. And we, we, we were being particularly bestial about some really, really bad incidental music. And we we're just chucking a couple of ideas around, like how much better you could have done for the same or even less money. Um, I know given the timescale involved, it wouldn't have been possible. But wouldn't it be great if television producers put some time and effort into seeking out people like this? I mean, that, that, as far as I'm concerned, that's just got like creepy TV show soundtrack all over it. Yeah, I, I totally um, agree. I totally agree. And I bet you they could hire that guy and the budget they had set aside for whatever ridiculous overblown orchestra and thing or, or, or studio musicians they were going, I, I bet that budget would go a really long way with that one guy. Mm, mm. Just something about put, putting on the cello, you know, because it is a spooky tune. It, 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 mm. It's not a tune I particularly like. You know, I, I love the intro to the song. I like, I like the lead lines, but then, but then I think the, the track kind of falls apart when it gets a bit more kind of thrashy. Um, but put, like transposing it all onto the cello, my God, it just sends chills down my spine. There's just something so odd and kind of offbeat and just oh, unnerving about it. It's the fact that, um, funnily enough, we were just talking about Death Doom. Um, violins have been used in rock music quite a bit. Um, saxophones, regrettably, have been used quite a bit. <laughs> the, the cello is a very neglected instrument in a, basically guitar. I mean, considering that a cello is basically a great big guitar. Yeah. Um, does a cello play in the same range as a bass? Well, it's funny, funny you say this, Doc. As I was watching him play um, on the on the YouTube video, I was I was looking at it, thinking, could I, could I play? Could I play this? Because it seems to me the way his fingers were moving and his and his position on the fretboard and stuff, it seemed to me that the the, the, the string arrangement must be the same. You know, the, the, so to, so to create the power chord. You, you, you're placing your fingers in the same place to, you know, to play the melodies. You, you, you're finger picking in the same place. I'd, 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 I've never played a cello. I would love to pick up a cello and just see if I could play it. Basically, um, you would assume, wouldn't you, that all of the string section is in the same tunic? Well, I, I'm guessing it's four strings. So I'm guessing it's E, A, D, G. That's my guess. I imagine this information is very, very, very easily available. Mm -hmm. um, and we should probably look it up. <laughs> but we're not going to right now. So we'll, we'll, no. No, maybe we'll make fools of ourselves. But yeah, I think it's inspired. The, the, this particular, it, it, It's my favourite track of the night. Um, yeah. I just love the sound. It, it's so haunting. It's so haunting. It's, it's absolutely wonderful. Absolutely. Um, just literally couldn't agree with you more. Uh, it's absolutely great. Um, a bit more? Do you want a bit more, Doc? Yes, please.
it's an opening title sequence piece of music, isn't it? For you know, for, for some like weird, creepy, paranormal, like X Files type show. Absolutely, yeah. Isn't it? Definitely. Mm. <laughs> Doc, but in a really good way, you know, it's just mm. making me feel really uncomfortable. And oh god, you know, just it's spine tingling shit, man. Why is this? Do you think? Is it because it's doing things? You're familiar with the sound of a cello. Mm-hmm. Is it because it's doing things that you don't expect to hear a cello doing? Yeah, I think so. And 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 I just think there's something about the frequency of the cello. Yeah, um, you know, that the, the, the just kind of invokes these feelings of almost dread. Um, you know, something terrible, something terrible is about to happen. It, it's 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 all about the tumble, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It certainly it's is. It's all about, about the noise it makes. Yeah, l- l- yeah, absolutely. Lovely pronunciation there as well, Doc. I really, really enjoyed that. Yeah, it's great. Um, and th- that it's a tricky word to approach, isn't it, tumble? You know, because if if you try and if, if you if you make it too French, you sound like a wanker. But if you make it not French enough, enough, you sound thick. You know. Well, and it's important to disambiguate it, considering you're talking about an instrument that's made out of wood, and you, you have to make sure that you're not saying it's all about the timber. <laughs> very that's, good point. Though. That's very important. <laughs> very good point. Yeah, yeah. Hands down, my favourite track of the night. I think definitely is wonderful. Um, Shall I skip forward and she would just have the last 30 seconds or so just for, just for shits and giggles? Yeah. <laughs> think it is this has just occurred to me cello because of the length of its the length of the scale of its neck and the, the physical length of the strings and because it doesn't have frets is very easily capable of microtonality 
the, actually, the cello that this guy is playing does have frets. Oh, goodness. Which, which, so, which surprised me as well, because I, I've never seen that before. Maybe that's the discombobulating thing about it. Mm. Um, maybe that's why it sounds... Because, <clears throat> I mean, it's... I don't know whether the fact... It, it's just the fact that he's playing such spectacularly morbid tune, or it's his technique, or mm -hmm. what it is about it, but... It does. It, it has a spectacularly morbid quality to it. It does. It does. It's quite Isn't lovely. It? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely wonderful. So yeah. So that was that's Rob Scallion. Anybody interested? Go on to YouTube. Rob Scallion. Spill the blood. You'll find it. Well, that's it, Doc. That's our covers. Our sound of heaven covers spectacular. All done and dusted. I, did you enjoy it? Because I did. Oh, definitely. I I, I always enjoy the covers. Um, yeah. My favourite cover thing ever was still Vore. <laughs> yeah, they did. That, that was from um, Show No Mercy, wasn't it? I can't remember the track. That's but yeah, right, it, yeah. It was, brilliant. it was really, really good. You're right. Yeah, it, yeah, go back, guys. Check out our um, Show No Mercy cover special. And, yeah, and find the, find the Vore track, because that was absolutely wonderful. Um, we're about done, aren't we, Doc, I think, for, for this week? Yeah. Is it time to... Um... Is it dropping spoilers too much, or shall we give the listeners a bit of a preview as to what's coming up next? No, I, do, I think we keep them in suspense because obviously, obviously, next week is is episode fifty, and so we've got something a, a little bit special planned, and then episode <laughs> fifty one will be we'll be back to normal with uh, War Ensemble. But for for me, Doc, you know, I, I think I think we leave it here, and then you know our loyal. Wonderful loyal listeners will will discover what we've got up our sleeve when they download the next episode. In fact, when we name the episode, I don't think we should even reveal in the episode title what the content of the episode is. What do you think about no, it? I, I definitely think we should keep our listener in suspense and um, just yeah, not not even put an episode title on it. Just special. Exactly. Episode 50, Slytanic Rarecast Special, something like that. Trust yeah. us, it's going to be special in both <laughs> senses of the word. Very, very much looking forward to it. Doc, it's been a, a pleasure as always. You take care, sir, and, and I'll see you for our episode 50 spectacular.